open my heart up, Lord. I open my heart to hear what you have to say to me in Jesus' name. <coughs> and everybody said, amen. Well, bless the Lord. How, how many of you know last, last Sunday morning what we started talking about? Anybody know the title of our series for the month of March, other than Michelle who does the bulletin? The Family Fix. Thank you. Everyone say The Family Fix. Now, uh, just by way of reminder that the, the fix has, has four different applications to that word. And last Sunday, we looked at one of them. Uh, one of the definitions speaks to the foundation of the family. We're a fix. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday, by the way. And then, of course, last Sunday, we talked about the fault. It speaks to the faults within the family. And, and, and we're going to look at that again tonight. Uh, and then another one uh, speaks to the future of the family. Uh, and then another one speaks to the, um, the focus of the family. And so uh, all four of those things have great application to us as we get fixed. And, and here's, the, here's the overarching theme. If we'll get fixed, our family will get fixed, if that makes any sense to you. If we'll take those other three definitions and really begin to appropriate them in our life and get our foundation right, get our focus right, uh, and, and get our future established in Him, then the faults of our life will begin to begin to line up and get healed up too. So that's the thought. And so uh, with that in mind, uh, let me give you just a little review of last week because last week we talked about the faults within the family and how to address the faults. In fact, how many of you know uh, everyone has has at least one or two, right? <laughs> okay. And we realize that faults have have graduating levels of of seriousness. You know, the first definition of the word fault was, you know, something just unsatisfactory. You know, you leave your dirty socks out laying somewhere. Uh, Daniel, I'm sure Ross has none of those, but uh, he probably has no, nothing like that. I mean, uh, no, not at all. They're laughing. They're, is there really one? To, this, yes, he's got a couple. Ross, how about you? Does she, she's got a, does she have anything about that after you said I do and you all started Man, I just didn't know she. She's perfect. Yeah, he's sharp. He's sharp. Well, we all have something along those lines. But you know what? Then the next level of faults, things that are unhealthy or unholy that can produce bad fruit in our life. You know, things like, uh, you know, our, the fact, we talked about our words and those unhealthy habits of life. And I said something like this. I said, if you old habits are hard to break. You ever heard that? We get these habits of life, these ways and things in our life that if we don't break them, they'll end up breaking us. And if we don't break them in the family, they'll end up breaking us. But then the third level of, of a fault within the family, you've heard of the, the fault lines, the, the old San Andreas fault in California that they think someday, you know, the judgment of God's going to come and all the land of fruits and nuts will fall off into the ocean. Uh, we don't know if that's true or not, but uh, that's the illustration. And, and within every family, if you don't deal with those little things, they can become a fault line. That if you don't fix the fault, undoubtedly at some point there will come uh, tragic, devastating, divisive trouble. And we see that in the in the, in in America today with the divorce rate. You know the the divorce rate among first time people married is forty one percent, and the second time uh, you get married, if you got number two, it's in the sixty percent range 
of divorce rate. Third time it moves into the 70-something percent. What that's saying is people are not fixing the faults. They're just fixing the fruit. Uh, and we got to get to the root. Everyone say, uh, you got to get to the root. Can't just deal. We, and, and in every area of our life, isn't it true of us? We, we, we deal with the fruit of the problem, but not the root of the problem. Right? And, and sometimes, you know, our old cranky family or husband or wife or somebody, they, they just seem to be, uh, they say, well, he's the problem. Uh, and, and he might just be a part of the fruit rather than the real root. And so that's what we talked about last Sunday morning. And I talked about three prime, three big uh, uh, fault lines within many families. And here they are, that if they're not dealt with, uh, they can produce devastating results. The first one, uh, a, a big fault line in, in many families and in many people's lives is our unyielded will, where our will is not yielded to the will of God. And if you know, if you have an unyielded will uh, and you think, hey, it's, you know, it's what I want and this is how I want it. How many of you know, that's one of the biggies in marriages. It's that will. I want it my way. How many of you know, marriage has nothing to do with our way. It has to do with his way and how we love each other sacrificially and all those things. But an unyielded will to the will of God can produce a real schism in the families. The second one was our unwilling ways. How many of you, you, let me just be honest tonight. It's kind of small group night semi. How many of you have some areas of your life where you just, you've got some ways about you? Not necessarily sinful ways, but you're, you're kind of set in some, some things, you know. I'm kind of set. And, and, and you just go, man, I, I just don't know if I'm going to change that. Uh, well, it can become unhealthy in our lives, especially in our relationships with one another, even in the job. Our unwilling ways, our, our lack of flexibility and the, the, the mindset that says, you know, it's my way or the highway kind of thing. Uh, in fact, I have actually sat in counseling sessions with husbands and wives where uh, uh, one side of the family, I'll just say, you know, this, this was one of the not so recent counseling uh, sessions I had. And I don't do much of that, by the way. People, people don't want to hear what I have to say usually about I'm pretty, I'm, I'm kind of black and white a lot. And I, my counselors know, oh, don't, unless you really want somebody to be tough on you, don't go to Pastor Sam. Uh, you know, my mindset, and this has got me in trouble before. I'm kind of like, okay, here's, you got that? Okay, here, here's what, here's my counseling to you. You got to admit, admit it, quit it, and forget it. That works sometimes. It doesn't work all the time. Uh, and I, so I'm a little, you know, I need a little help there. But one of the counseling sessions was this, and it was, it had to do with blended families and how they raise their kids. And how many of you know, whoo, man, things can get tense in a hurry with those kind of issues. And, and the, the husband of who was trying to be all of a sudden be daddy to her kids. Oh, man. Well, that's the way we're doing my house. That's the way I was all growing up more. He's ready to, you know, kick something and take names, you know. And I'm going, he said, it's just the way I was raised. I said, it ain't working here. In this case, it, it might have worked with your daddy and your mom and the way they raised you, but it ain't working here because, hey, this is a whole different ball of wax right here. And you got to understand. And I couldn't get him off of it. And thank God Jesus got him off of it evidently a little bit. So, you know, so they're doing much better. But unwilling ways. Everyone say unyielded wills. Un, 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 I, yeah, unyielded, unwilling ways 
And then number three, our unrighteous words. Whew, and we learned that our words come out of our hearts, right? Out of the abundance of the mouth, uh, the heart, the what does the mouth do? It speaks. And so those words, I said this Sunday and I'll say it again. Sometimes I, you know, I'd rather somebody just slap me in the face rather than slap me with their words. Because there's something about those words that, you know, you ever heard the thing, sticks and stones will make my break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You ever heard that? Not true. And, uh, and our words can produce devastating results. These are fault lines in the family. It's what we talked about Sunday. And, and, and we then revealed, and this is where we're headed, we revealed the, the root of all of that is a monster on the inside of us uh, by the name of Leviathan. Everybody say, Leviathan. Leviathan. Leviathan is found in Job 41. You know, and if you want to read it later, it and until you understand what I believe to be the interpretation of Job 41, it'll kind of spook you because he's talking about this sea monster. And he describes this monster in Job 41 for for 33 and a half verses. And 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 the the the, the mindset is this monster, this Leviathan, is just impossible to defeat because of how overwhelming he is. And so read it later. I, I, I won't bore you with all the, the gory details of his scales and his, you know, and <laughs> I mean, it's just a, you think, oh man, this guy ate too much enchiladas or something, but it's God speaking about Leviathan. And, and then this monster is revealed in the verse 34 when he says, let me tell you, Leviathan, he is the king over all the children of pride. In other words, the Leviathan inside of all of us and what is the root behind maybe our unrighteous words and our unwilling ways and our unyielded wills is the fact that we in many areas of our life are under the influence and the control. In some ways, we are children of the, of the God, if you will, of pride in our life. How many of you know Lucifer, Satan, fell from heaven because of pride. I really believe this is the root behind most every issue in our life. I'll never forget. <laughs> Did you know Pastor Sam's been to counseling before? Doesn't that make you feel better? I didn't do too good, but I went. And it, and it, was, it was at the behest of an employer. Uh, and I didn't realize I was being set up, but... Uh, uh, I went at the behest of the employer, uh, and uh, so I'm with a counselor, and I don't know if we got anywhere, but everything we'd say, he'd say, well, you're, that, you're just prideful. I'm going, say what? We talk a little bit, well, you know, the root of that's just pride. You're just and he did everything I did, no matter what I said, I was just the most proud. And I couldn't hardly get us, I couldn't swallow it. I, I was going, I'm prideful? Don't tell me I'm prideful. But everywhere I turned it, well, you're just, you're just, you're just prideful. That's what's called it. And so, long story short, I realized over the course of time that that fellow was probably right. Because there were some areas of my, and still, how many of you, how many of all of us, even though on our best day we think, you know, I'm, I try to stay pretty humble before God, that Leviathan can raise his ugly head in my life pretty easily if I'm not careful. So, 
with that in mind, uh, we've got to slay this monster in our life. And we've got to, uh, we've got to re- repair the fault lines, if you will, of our life through, through some real massive doses of what's the opposite of pride? Humility. And so that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight. And I'm just going to give you some illustrations, read you a few passages of Scripture. So I hope you have your Bibles. Uh, and then at the close, uh, I think we'll have time. We're going to just humble ourselves in prayer and say, God, Lord, expose this Leviathan inside of me. And let's crucify this thing. Let's kill this thing. How many of you know there's some things you can't coexist with. And pride is not, is one of them. You, we cannot as Christians coexist with this, this authority, uh, unwelcome authority of pride ruling and reigning in our hearts. So here we go. Do you have your Bible? Here we go. Let's just look, let's begin by just, uh, let's begin dethroning Leviathan by just reading some Proverbs, uh, about pride. Okay. So turn to Proverbs and, and, uh, let's just kind of, kind of build a, a foundation here of what the Bible says about the devastating impact of pride. Uh, Proverbs 13, and there's a lot. I'll just show you three here. Proverbs 13, 10 says this. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Catch that first part. Put it in the context of family. Put it in the context of, you know, you know, uh, frustrations with, with family members. By pride comes nothing but strife. So when we look at strife in the family, could we just almost categorically say, just based on that scripture, when there's strife and there's dis, you know, there's, there, there's, there's, trouble in the home and and arguing in the home could we just could we categorically say hey it's because of pride somebody needs to get humble before god that says proverbs 3:10 it was really proverbs 13:10 my typo where's T- tiffany she was oh she's back there she's supposed to proof that in she i proverbs 13:10 by by pride comes nothing but strife look at proverbs oh gosh verse 16 chapter 16 verse 18 Pride, you've heard this one before. Pride goes before what? Destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Gosh, might as well read verse 19 to balance it out. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. Pride goes before destruction. Now, destruction is a big word, is it not? It it didn't just say trouble. It said destruction. Uh, And so... A powerful impact, uh, you know, in a haughty spirit before a fall. So, uh, Proverbs 29, uh, 13. And I'm skipping a lot, okay? Proverbs 29, 13 says this. The, uh, that doesn't look like it. Proverbs 29, 13. The poor man and the oppressor ha- have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. That's not the one. I don't know where my pride's verse went. Uh, but it's in there somewhere. A man's, oh, here we go. Verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. A man's pride will bring him low. Whoo. How many of you know you can bank on the truths of these words? And so we, we realize that Le- Leviathan, if you will, has nothing but our worst interests at heart. And so now a little 
turning of the tide here to get us moving in the right direction. How many of you want to get moving in the right direction? Look at a well-known passage, 1 Chronicles 7, 14. 1 Chronicles 7, 14. Probably one of the most well-known passages concerning humility, especially in the, in the Old Testament, uh, about, about humbling ourselves before God. Second, did I say 1 Chronicles 7, 14? says, uh, gosh, it's got to be 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Man, all my notes are messed up. First, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says this. I can quote it without looking it up. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, there it is, and pray and seek my face and what? Turn from their wicked ways. God said, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now the context, hey, listen, this, this goes way beyond the context of the family. Uh, but just think about this in the context of the family. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their families. That's their land. How many of you believe that to be true? So humility has this, this phenomenal healing balm in our life. Ooh, it delivers us. It heals us. In fact, as we'll find out with Peter, it, it, it lifts us up. When we humble ourselves, uh, God will exalt us in due time. Somebody say amen. So smile a little bit and say, hey, I feel better already. Tell somebody, I feel better. I feel better already. I'm going to get you out of the ditch real quick here and get you on the road. Get me on the road to dethroning Leviathan out of my life more so than ever before. Amen. So let's look at it just for a second. And this is what I want you to see about dethroning Leviathan. It's a cooperative effort and, and it requires a, a posture in our life of being proactive. If we're going, that's what this verse is all about. He's, t hey, you got to be proactive. If you're going to dethrone Leviathan, you can't just sit around and, 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 you know, have somebody lay hands on you suddenly or anoint you with oil. Uh, it, it, there's things that we have to do in response to his word. And if my people, now here's the thing about that scripture. If my people who are called by my name, he's talking about the church for us. He's talking about me and you. He's talking about God's kids. That we have an issue in our life called pride that we've got to deal with. And if we don't deal with it, uh, it will deal with us, right? Just like those ha bad habits. If you don't deal with them, they'll deal with you. If you don't break them, they'll break you. If we don't dethrone Leviathan, he'll stay the king over our life. And oh man, how, how many of you have uh, people in your family or in your life that just for you, they have refused to break in the eye, in the, in the, presence of God and their pride just continues to overwhelm them and it just is it you just go man that's sad because it just controls their life in every area so if my people it hey guess what it God we have to dethrone this Leviathan in our life on any level we I don't think we ever until we get to heaven are at a place where we don't need to continually bow our knee before him in our hearts and continue to humble ourselves in his sight. So, in fact, the word humble themselves means to bow or bend the knee. You know, I thought about that this week. That not only puts us lower and him higher, it also, also reveals that we have to be flexible. 
And, our, and, and let me tell you something. Humble people, they flex in the presence of God. They're not, they don't stiffen up. They don't get rigid. They bow. And, and, and that's what humility is all about. It's staying flexible in the presence of God, yielding ourselves to Him. And it says, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now, this is where it reflects when we, when we humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our wicked ways. It reflects a yielding of the will and the ways. These things we talked about Sunday, a revealing of the. We're yielding our wills. We're yielding our ways. We're even yielding our words to the control and the influence and the government, governance of God in our lives. It's a posture of yielding ourselves to Him. It's really a heart change. Amen? Now, this is not in your notes, but I want to, I want to talk to you about Daniel just a second. Not Daniel, David. You know, David was a great leader. But how many of you know David was imperfect? David made a terrible mistake. But you know what David... And you know why God anointed David and chose him? We talked about this Sunday night with our leaders class... Because of his, the integrity of his what? Heart. And when David was uh, confronted with his sin with Bathsheba, he gave no excuses. And the prophet said, you're the man. He said, you're right, I'm the man. You got me, I'm busted. And he humbled himself before God and man. To the point that he wrote in Psalm 51 about his sin. It's a reference to his sin. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast and a right spirit within me. The word create is the same one where God created the heavens and the earth. And, and creation is make something out of nothing. And David, David was so realization of his bankrupt heart. He said, you're going to have to make a whole new heart. Mine is a mess. And you know, God did. But he humbled himself. He stayed, even in his mistake, his humility governed him right out of the ditch. You see, what if he'd have buckled up? I'm not the man. Who do you think you are telling the leader of the Israelite people? Uh, I'm, I'm a, who do you think you are? Come, come knocking on my door, pointing the finger at me, the old man of God, and telling me I've got sin in my heart. Who do you think? Well, what if he'd have done that? Whoo! Everybody go, whoo! Man, so he humbled himself and he became obedient and he just, and he, and he yielded himself to God. So, uh, here's the thing you and I need to understand. Here's, here's a big truth that I want you to get. Personal self-humility is much less painful and prolonged than public humiliation. Personal self-humility. When we humble ourselves, it's a lot less painful and prolonged than public humiliation. Because here's the reality, especially for God's kids. We will, at some point, have to bow the knee. And even without being God's kids, did you know there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then some off into heaven and some off into hell. But we will all ultimately bow the knee. But I'm telling you today, here's the kicker. You know, if we come to the, if we'll just come to the place, if we'll awaken to, to the destitute nature of our heart and awaken to the reality that in many ways Leviathan controls our heart and we began the process of cooperating with the word and the will of God and we began to humble ourselves, be proactive with that, 
it's much less painful and prolonged than an eventual public humiliation. Because, hey, we will all end up humiliated if we don't humble ourselves. How many of you know you'd rather be humble than humiliated? And God is, hey, one thing I've read in Scripture, God is not opposed to humbling his people and humiliating them because of their inflexibility and the Leviathan in their life. Because he has an ultimate purpose for us. And he knows if Leviathan is not dethroned, we don't have a prayer. So here we go. Everybody say, here we go. Now, let's talk about the children of Israel. The children of Israel came out of Egyptian bondage. You remember the story? Anybody watch the Bible? Was it Sunday night? Hey, let me just say, don't be critical. I didn't know Mark Burnett was a Christian. Burnett was a Christian. How many of you didn't know Mark Burnett was a Christian? He's a survivor producer and a couple other things. I thought it was a great story. Him and his wife, they, they were praying about this four or five years uh, ago. And and wife said, we ought to do it. He said, you don't know what you're asking. This thing is overwhelming. Nobody's ever successfully uh, video put, you know, the Bible on, on video. And, and so he went out to his... Uh, out jogging or walking or riding his bike and God seemed to speak to him said let's do it and so four and a half years ago I think he came back home shook hands with his wife said we'll do it and so hey wow I mean the only thing that was kind of funny to me was the ninja angels I thought that was <laughs> other than that everything I went, angels are ninjas I don't know what made me get off on that but uh, <laughs> the children of Israel there you go Children of Israel, out of Egyptian bondage, headed to their promised land. Everybody go, hallelujah. They don't get out of town good until they get to Numbers 14, right up to the promised land. And they send in the spies, not to see if they could take the land, but to see how to take the land. Read it in Numbers 14. And so they come back. And they get a bad report from 10 of the 12. We are not able. There's giants there. We're like grasshoppers. We ain't messing with those guys. And you know the story. Joshua and Caleb said, no, we're able to go up. Let's go up once and take the land. We are able. Everybody say, we are able. And so uh, majority ruled. It was two against millions, I suppose. And they said, God just brought us out here to kill us. What was he thinking? What were we thinking? And they rebelled and they complained and they cried and they moaned. And and, and let me just tell you, this is Wednesday night. They hacked God off really bad. Let me just say, you don't want to hack him off really bad. He got hacked off and he said, I'm just going to kill them all. Start over. He was ready to eradicate the Hebrew children right there. And Moses interceded. Okay, Moses interceded and God said, okay, all right, I'll take that. But let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm basically the consequences of this rebellion, which was born, by the way, out of pride. Right. That's the root. Everybody said that's the root. They thought they were smarter than God. And misrepresented, I well, just a lot, but so, so God says, okay, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and everybody that's 20 years old and over are going to die in the wilderness. Now catch this. 
and your children will bear the brunt of your Leviathan that you did not dethrone, basically. Our children bear the brunt of our Leviathan, of the Leviathan within us. And so they did for 40 years. And they did not do what I just read to you. There, there was no self-humility involved. And as a result, the process of getting through that was long and painful. In fact, Deuteronomy 8, I didn't go, Deuteronomy 8, a, f- a few verses there. It, it basically, God said, you wandered in the wilderness so I could humble you. The reason you were there is to put you in your place where you need to be. Not that God is a megalomaniac, but he, hey, how many of you know he is God? Okay, he's not, he's not, a, you know, a, a, just somebody that's all hung up on himself. He's God. And he said, you wandered in the wilderness and the reason you were there, so I could, I could humble you. And, and you know what? I got to thinking about these. How many of you know, it had to have been very humiliating to know. How many of you, what if you had a 19-year-old son who just got in under the wire and was not going to die in the wilderness? And you had to look at your kids, him, others, and explain to them why they're in the mess they're in. And that I'm not going to, I'm going to die here. And you're going to reap the consequences. They were humiliated. And so they did not humble themselves. It took them, God, 40 years to deal with them. And so, hey, they, they exacerbated the problem by not dealing with it. They didn't deal with their problem and their problem ended up dealing with them. Okay? And, it, and it's almost like a law. You know, oh, look how mean God was. No, it, hey, there's a, law, there's a law about humility and pride. Pride goes before destruction. So they did not humble themselves. But now Job is a different story. Remember Job 42, Leviathan? Turn over there. I want to show you this. This is pretty cool. Job, and gosh, how many of you are glad you're not Job? Only two? How many of you are glad you're not Job? Man, I, I tell you, Job, he went through the trauma of, his, of, of everybody's life. And he was, in fact, the Bible says he was, a, he was, he was blameless. I mean, he just had, he, he had a right heart before God as far as all of us are concerned. But in the middle of his testing, if you will... Uh, he there was the realization that there was some Leviathan on the inside of him. And that's what Job 41 is all about. And there's verse 34. Behold, every high thing, he is the king over all the children of pride. Now, uh, catch this. Look in verse 40, chapter 42. So Job answered the Lord and said... Now, Here's God just talking about this big monster called pride. And so here's Job's response. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. 
You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Now, stop right there. He was speaking things that he had no business speaking. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. He's asking God. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. By now my eye, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, without getting too deep with all of what he said and didn't say, you know what Job had a revelation of? The Leviathan on the inside of him. And he repented when he got the revelation that, man, it's in me. He says, man, I was talking when I shouldn't have been talking. I was was saying, I was speaking without a real revelation from God. God forget. And he repented in, in sackcloth and ashes. And you know what happened? God dethroned the, uh, hey, that repentance dethroned Leviathan out of his life. And if you read the rest of the story here, in fact, look at verse 10. Look at it. It says, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. And indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Everybody say double for your trouble. Man, hey, that's awesome. God, hey, if, if we will come to the place, my goodness gracious, Leviathan is rearing his ugly head in my life. That's what Job 41 is all about. Pride is too big for us to handle on ourselves. That's why we just humble ourselves and yield to the word of the will of God and begin to bow ourselves before him, humble ourselves in the sight of God. The Bible says he'll lift us up. So you know what Job did? Job responded rightly. And he repented. And Leviathan lost his grip in his life. Amen. Everybody say amen. Now the last illustration is Peter. He's my favorite. Peter, I love this guy. I've told his story a hundred thousand times. But Peter got called out of the, the, the lowly place of fishing. Jesus said, hey, If you just follow me, I'll make you into something. I'll make you into a fisher of men. So he started the process, and you know the story, when Jesus began to say, hey, you know, I'm going to be crucified. In fact, turn over to Matthew 26. Let me just show you this. Matthew 26, Jesus says this, verse 31. Are you there? If you're there, say, I'm there. Here we go. Matthew 26 says this. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter answered and said to him, even if all, look, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now, what was Peter's problem right there? Leviathan. And you know what? I really believe he believed what he just said. But he didn't know what was really in his heart. And you know the end of the story. Look over in verse 75. And Peter remembered. Oh, well, we've got to read 74. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. 
And Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and did what? Wept bitterly. Now, catch this. Peter, in a matter of hours, this is, this is the principle we're talking about. Hey, if you'll, if you'll humble yourself, it's a lot less painful and prolonged than if we have to find ourselves being humiliated by God. And I'm telling you, Peter, the, the phrase wept bitterly, it means this, to sob and wail aloud violently. Now, I cannot remember ever having this kind of repentant heart over anything I've ever done that offended the Lord. What I'm saying is, Peter dethroned Leviathan out of his life within hours of his revelation that he, he was, well, within moments of the revelation that it was in his heart. And all of a sudden he realized, OMG, it's in me. I said it wasn't, but it's in me. He wept bitterly, violently, sobbing and wailing. I cannot imagine what Mama Peter was thinking when she heard that. Her sister Peter, whatever her mom, his wife and, and family. And down the street, hearing that commotion. I'm just telling you, this man was broken and undone. And within days, some say 50 days, I, I don't, geography, geology here, not geology, uh, chronology here, I'm a little uncertain about. But within a month or so, the resurrected Christ walks back into his life in John 21. You read it. He's, at, he's back in the fishing business. Ryan and I talked about this. That's all he knew to do. Go back to where I came from. Been following Jesus. He's been making me a fisher of men. Now that's all over. I'll just go back. And the resurrected Christ makes himself known on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Peter sees him from his boat. And he jumps out of the boat. Now, you got to remember, Peter has, Peter has dealt with a Leviathan in his life. He jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. And Jesus in John 21 asks him some revealing questions. He asks him three times basically the same question. Peter, do you love me? And he used the word agape which means selfless God kind of love. Now, 50 or 60 days ago, I have a feeling Peter would say, you know I agape you. I would die for you. I'm not going to deny you. I agape you. I'll, 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 I'll lay myself on the line for you. Not today. He says, Jesus says, do you agape me? He says, well... I phileo you, which means I'll, I'm, I just have love for you a brother, as a brother. But basically what I'm saying, 
I don't, I don't believe I love you the way I need to love you to do what you want me to do. He asked him again, Peter, do you, do you agape me? He said, and it, Peter's kind of, no, no, I just filleted you. I, I, I'm honest. I'm being honest. And then, and then Jesus, if I'm not mistaken, says, well, do you filleted me? Do you love me like a brother? And he said, yes. And Jesus said, okay, you're basically, all I wanted you to do is be honest about where you are. Feed my sheep. And in just a few more weeks, he's preaching Pentecost. Okay? Peter dealt with the Leviathan in his life. He did so swiftly. Once he saw it, he repented. He wept bitterly, violently, when he saw the real condition of his heart. Now, now turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I love this. Everybody with me, say amen. Y'all bored? Anybody bored? Okay. This is 1 Peter chapter 5. I wonder who wrote 1 Peter. Okay, here we go. Verse 5. Catch what he says now. He's been through the mill, if you will. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be what? Clothed in humility. Everyone say clothed in humility. Now, this phrase, clothed in, clothed in humility, uh, it infers some things. The the clothed the the, the clothing, the cloth has to do with serving, a servant's cloth. You could go down that road. But really, you know what it's saying? Let your life be girded about with humility. Let this be the way you do life, basically. This has to be the MO and the identity of your life. Be clothed with humility. You know, everybody will bow at a pinch, right? Oh, when the fireballs start falling, everybody going, oh, well, humble ourselves before you, Lord. We don't want to be destroyed by the fire. You know, we, we, we lower. That's what the children of Israel would do when they got in a jam. They'd all, oh, God, forgive us. We're so sorry. Don't hit us with a fireball. Don't swallow us up by the earth. Oh, we, we're going to repent. We're humbling ourselves. Fireballs, look out. That's just the way most people do it, right? I'll bow before I fall into the hole. But that's not what Peter's saying. He's saying... Just build within you a lifestyle of humility. Okay? Let that be your MO. Be clothed in humility. And look what he says. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, how could he say this guy experienced the resistance of God in his life? But then he turned around and experienced that John 21 grace. That unmerited favor to walk back. Hey, I don't know about you, but from a natural perspective, if someone denied me and, and, and did what Peter did to Jesus, I'd be a little hesitant putting him as the head of the first Pentecostal church. Can you trust this old boy? He'll bail out on you in a heartbeat. Jesus knew his heart. How many of you know Jesus heard, even from wherever he was, the weeping and the crying and the wailing of Peter? And so, 
Peter says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace, unmerited favor to the humble. Peter experienced that. And how many of you know, that's where God wants to bring all of us. And he goes on to say, therefore, look at verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. See, Peter had all, he'd been down this road. He experienced all this. He experienced the heartbreak of, of, uh, of uh, denying the Lord. But he also experienced the grace of restoration and healing. And he experienced that God exalted, <coughs> pardon me, in his due time exalted him. Put him back in in commission and back into the ministry. And then he goes on to say, cast all your care, casting, uh, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, we could say Leviathan there because the devil is the one who is spawned it in all the earth. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And look in verse 10, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, he'll perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Catch these lines. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see what, what happened to Peter? He suffered a while because of his fall, because of his mistake, because of, of the Leviathan within him. But he knew, hey, by the grace of God, after I've suffered a while, he'll perfect me, that is mature me, establish me, strengthen me, and settle me. And I love this. He, hey, it's, it's to him be the glory. That's a humble heart. Amen. And so, one final thought about this passage and about being clothed with humility. Everyone say clothed with humility. The word humility here means humility or humbleness, if that's a word, of mind. Everybody take your finger and point at your mind. Humility of mind. In other words, it's how we think. Right? Our thoughts about who we are and who he is. And I've always said this. This is Pastor Sam's made-up definition of humility. The understanding of who we are in, the, in light of who he is. When you get a revelation of who he is, like Job did. Oh, you do everything. You can do anything. What was I thinking? <laughs> and then you under, the understanding of who you are. When you understand who he is, really, it'll put you in your place. And you'll realize, oh, it's time to bow low. But this humility of, it's the way we think. Now, one final verse and we're going to pray. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Back Romans 12, pardon me. Romans 12, the first three verses, first two verses. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
So he's talking about renewing the mind that brings transformation. When you change the way you think, when you allow God to get into your thought process uh, and, and transform your mind, it affects every area of your life. And now look at verse 3 because it's humility of mind. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And so, one of the big issues with dethroning Leviathan is we get a revelation of who Jesus is and begin to change the way we think about who we are. Hey, let me tell you something. Humility is not self-deprecation. Humility has nothing to do with... You, know, you ever heard somebody say, "Well, how, you know, man, I appreciate that word that you spoke. Well, it's not me. It's just the Lord. You know, that, to me, that's what I call false humility. It's, you know, it's just almost self-deprecating, you know. Oh, I, I can do nothing. You know, it's just all the Lord. Well, the reality is, uh, hey, that's true. But that's not the evidence of humility. The evidence of humility is a real revelation of, in our own hearts. Man, without him, I can do nothing. Years ago, and I'm going to close and we're going to pray. It's just 8.02. We got a little time. Years ago, as a young man, I had a lot of self-confidence. And I think there's, there's a healthy side of that. Even in, in, in what you do. Uh, Kobe, you have to be somewhat confident in administering anesthesia, right? You can't go, oh, well, I hope this works. Oh, I hope I didn't give too much. You, know, you, you have to have a real confidence in yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. That's healthy. That's good. But out of bounds, and, I, and, and so I had a pretty strong self-confidence that, that, uh, about myself, but I, it, it began to get out of bounds. And the reason I know it was out of bounds is that I had this conversation with the Lord uh, one day. And I've shared this before, but I can't remember exactly what, what the beginning of it was, but I remember in my arrogance, I said something to God. And he said this, in my spirit I heard it, you can't breathe without me. It just came clear as a bell to me. You can't breathe without me. And that says a whole lot. In other words, my life is in his hand. Unless he helps. You know, the first thing I did when I heard that, I went, oh, thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> I thought he's fixing to stop it. I mean, I, I got under the hand of God and I realized I'm being reproved by the Lord. I'm, con I'm coming under his correction. And I said, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I can't breathe without you. And hey, I still deal with the Leviathan in my life, but when he rears his ugly head, I, some of those things come back to me. I can't breathe without God. I can't do this on my own. I need him. Change the way we think. Amen. So, with that in mind, this is certainly not a shout-me-down message, but it's, how many of you know, uh, it's a good, healthy thing that we learn and we learn it quickly and early. And let's take it to our families. Let me just say, all families have faults. Our spouses have faults. Our brothers, our sisters have faults. We have faults, different degrees of faults. And 
How many of you learned that you can't fix somebody else's fault? Anybody learn that? I can't. Can't do it. But I can develop in my own heart a rightness with God that is like a medicine to my spiritual atmosphere. Because you know what I've learned? Pride has a way of being contagious, but humility has a way of being contagious too. You see, the children suffered because of the children of Israel's, uh, the leader's pride and arrogance and rebellion. Conversely, when we humble ourselves, in our, even in our hearts and with our families, husbands, wives, and yield ourselves to God and one another, even if the other side, if you will, and there shouldn't be even the other side, but the other person or persons, brother, sister, husband, wife, has not come to this revelation of humility. The revelation we come to brings healing and hope and health into the atmosphere. Amen? And so we can do that beyond just our little world and it'll, it'll affect every area of our life and, he, and, and healing begins to come. Amen? So let's, let's stand together tonight and, and let's, uh, let's pray for a few moments. I'm going to ask you just to ask yourself, is there some Leviathan in me that needs to be dealt with. And if that's the case tonight, and I'm sure it is, I know it is in my life, let's just spend a little time humbling ourselves before God. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, we can bring healing to the family. We can bring healing to our communities. And so what we're going to do tonight, I'm just going to release you to come to the altar, release you to kneel, and even release you if you need to go, to go. But uh, let's just spend a little time. It's only 8.08. Find a place for a few moments and just begin to say to the Lord, God, I want to be right with you in every area of my life. I don't want Leviathan to bring destruction in my family. And listen, I see a lot of young faces here. The quicker you get this, the quicker the grace and the favor of God comes on you in every other area. So let's do that. I'm releasing you. Again, you can sit down, you can turn around and kneel, you can come to the altar. But let's just take a little time. I hear the music playing. Let's just spend a little time praying. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father,